As the COVID-19 pandemic undermines economic stability in the United States, more and more comparisons are being made to the financial crisis of 2008. So how did that affect you? What was it like, you might ask, to be an insider during that period of time? Well, there is an insider that shared that story. Scott Freedom was an insider at Lehman Brothers during the financial crisis of 2008. He was the Lehman Brothers chief administrative officer and executive vice president. And he offered a firsthand account of what happened in 2008 to the Lumen Christie Institute at the University of Chicago. By the way, if you're not familiar with Lumen Christie, uh, it's online at YouTube. You can watch all their presentations on literature and philosophy and, and finance and science. It's really a great resource. You ought to subscribe to it on YouTube. Well, anyway, Mr. Friedheim said that Lehman Brothers did not need to fail. And he described in personal terms how the fall of Lehman Brothers affected his sense of meaning as a Catholic person of faith. The presentation and that I have included, if you want to watch it, it's on the podcast notes on the St. Mark website. But in that presentation, he talked about the trauma of the financial crisis. Why would we want to recount 2008 as we're having our own crisis in 2020? Well, it's how we draw meaning in life. We draw meaning in life by examining the past, to help us cope with the present and to prepare for the future. Happiness and meaning are probably not the same thing. Mr. Friedheim said that he realized that he was focusing too much on the satisfaction his career gave him. And he was very successful in his career. But he learned through the financial crisis that he had to, in his own words, diversify his personal portfolio and make more room for the gift of faith. When we focus too much on a narrow part of our life, family or career or whatever it is, um, we really tie all of our meaning and happiness to a very narrow bandwidth. And so how did Mr. Friedheim take meaning from this crisis? He took meaning because how he saw his life and really what he was accomplishing in bigger terms than whether or not he was successful in the financial world. Meaning and ha happiness in life. Is there a difference? Well, more than you might think. Researchers suggest that happiness and meaning in life overlap, but they are not identical. Satisfaction of our needs and wants helps to make us happy. But those same indicators alone are not what give life meaning. Happiness is mostly about my sense of well-being now, in the present. I may have fears about the future or regrets about the past that can affect happiness. But happiness or the lack thereof are very much about the present. Meaning is different. This is Father John Arnold, and this is Oral Valley Catholic. Meaning and happiness in life. You know, our sense of meaning in life integrates the past, the present, and the future. In surveys that I'll discuss a little later as this develops, respondents offered that thinking about hopes for the future 
and learning from the past have relevance to meaning, but not so much to happiness. In surveys reported in Scientific American, and it's in the footnotes of the podcast notes, happiness was linked to the gratitude for gifts received. Meaning tended to orient to how we have contributed in life. It's the difference between being a taker and a giver. The survey suggested that higher levels of worry, stress, and anxiety were often part of the experience of meaning, but not happiness. Often people who have survived struggles in marriage have an enhanced sense of meaning, though happiness may be negatively affected. The more meaning we find increases happiness, but not always. Meaning can go up, but not necessarily happiness. We can reach certain kinds of happiness, but not really expand meaning in life. A common example of this paradox between meaning and happiness is what researchers call the parenthood paradox. Parents are often happy they had children, but parents who are living with children often score lower on the happiness index. Because when you're uh, raising kids and starting a career, there are lots of stress, demands, and worries. Raising children can decrease happiness at some points in life, but increase the sense of meaning and purpose in life. And I think that resonates with parents. So that article I referred to in Scientific American that discussed the work of Dr. Roy Baumeister and his colleagues, their research found that feeling connected to others, feeling productive, and not being alone or bored contributed to both happiness and meaning. But after that, those two roads kind of diverged. And so here's some of the points he made. Finding one's life easy or difficult was related to happiness, but not to meaning. Feeling healthy was related to happiness, but not meaning. Feeling good was related to happiness, not meaning. Scarcity of money reduced happiness more than meaning. People with more meaningful lives agreed that relationships are more important than achievements. Helping people in need was linked to meaning, but not happiness. Expecting to do a lot of deep thinking was positively related to meaningfulness, but negatively with happiness. Apparently, if you're happy, don't think about it too much. Happiness was related more to being a taker rather than a giver, whereas meaning was related more to being a giver than a taker. The more people felt their activities were consistent with core themes and values of their self, the greater meaning they reported in their activities. Seeing oneself as wise, creative, and even anxious were all linked to meaning, but had no relationship, and in some cases apparently a negative relationship, to happiness. They concluded, happiness has more to do with having needs satisfying, getting what we want, and feeling good. Meaning is more related to developing a personal identity, expressing our inner self and consciously integrating our past, present, and our hopes for the future. We can live without significant happiness in parts of our lives, but lack of meaning is deadly. Humans are made for meaning and purpose. And in fact, to delay gratification, to delay happiness, can increase meaning in your life. Just ask a kid who comes home and does his math homework 
knowing that he's going to be more successful in the future because he's mastered arithmetic. Well, delaying gratification, finding meaning in your struggles in the present, that's what the gospel is about today. The parables of Jesus continue this Sunday from chapter 13 of the Gospel of Matthew. So Jesus turns to four pithy little parables or comparisons. And isn't it interesting in Jesus' preaching how often he uses uh, uh, financial transactions as a way of talking about the life of grace? He's not saying that you can buy grace. He says exactly the opposite. But Jesus is using our imaginations, how we think about life, and he is using it as a platform to help us understand something about our relationship with God. And so let's not shrink back from uh, Jesus being bearish on the life of grace. And uh, think about what Mr. Friedheim, says, Friedheim said and let's think about how Jesus and Mr. Friedheim are maybe on the same page in some very important ways. So Jesus has four very short little parables in the gospel today. The first, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. So what if you found uh, in this field this great treasure? You could dig it up and steal it, but then you'd always have to explain where you found it. Wouldn't it be smarter? If you went out and bought the field, make sure you got all the rights to everything that, uh, that is part of that land ownership, including the mineral rights, just in case there's oil there. And so Jesus is saying, um, acquire it honestly. Do what you need to do. Get it in the right way, and you will receive this treasure hidden in the field. So you can't really take meaning you can only receive it. Remember, Adam and Eve wanted to take and eat. That is exactly the wrong spiritual space with God. You have to have open hands to receive. And you really have to be the owner of the field to get what the treasure is. So his second parable, the pearl of great price. So there's this merchant, and she's in search of these fine pearls, but she's willing to give everything she has for this one pearl. What's she going to live on? She doesn't care because she knows this is the single greatest investment of her life. You see, the kingdom requires commitment. You got to be all in. When you diversify your portfolio, you can't diversify between good and evil, try to cover your bets. The portfolio has to be a portfolio that's capable of stability. And it may be expressed in different ways, but it all has to be rooted in this one pearl of great price. And that is the Son of God, the pearl of great price. And so the third parable, the cast net. You know, you've probably seen pictures of people throwing these big nets out into the lake and pulling back a catch of fish. Well, Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like that. Um, that the kingdom gathers in everything, including the trash. And at the end, that's when the quality control ha happens. He uses the same analogy, if you remember, about the man who sows a field of wheat, but the enemy comes and sows wheat, weeds among the wheat, 
And so it's at the end that the wheat and the weeds are separated. And so the point of that is, is don't focus on short-term returns. Don't get freaked out if your investment account takes a short uh, downturn. Because overall, you're in a bullish market because you're in the market of grace. This is all going to the right place. But if you worry about abusive priests, whether the person in the next, the pew, <laughs> next to you in the pew is annoying, whether or not your uh, this world uh, financial uh, thing with Merrill Lynch is working out, um, this is all short-term stuff. It's not what the long-term meaning of your life is. And so he goes to the fourth parable. And the fourth parable is about being the scribe in the kingdom of heaven. Remember, he can go and take old things and new things and he can put them together because the Christian can put together the past, the present, and the future and understand the meaning and the purpose of their life. Uh, the gospel, Jesus, is like a good financial advisor. He's telling you not to freak out over short-term losses. Instead, focus on where you know the great harvest is coming. You see, for Jesus and for the Christian, life is not just one dang thing after another. Life has an upward trajectory. When we say that God has a plan for our lives, we don't mean it in micromanaging. What we mean is what St. Paul has to say, which is we are predestined for eternal life. That's why the church teaches that Christ is present in the Old Testament and fully revealed in the New Testament, that all the stories about King David, the Ark of the Covenant, Adam and Eve, Moses, all of these types are fulfilled in the person of Christ so that human meaning can grow around a completely uh, singular event, which is the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And that event chases, changes everything. You know, creation, if you remember last week from St. Paul, was opening up and heading for the revelation of the children of God, and that all of creation was going to uh, be part of that redemption, one on the cross uh, through the death of Jesus and his triumph over sin and death. And so St. Paul was gonna double down on that as he talks about meaning and purpose in the Christian life. So let's turn briefly at least to uh, Paul's letter to the Romans. So St. Paul wrote a letter to the Romans, and it's his most complete statement of how he understood his preaching of Jesus risen from the dead. It wasn't written to take care of problems in the Roman community like 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Instead, it was his clearest explanation of why salvation comes through Jesus Christ. So if you remember the second reading, he wrote this. Brothers and sisters, we know that all things work for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. And so 
this idea of what the future meaning of human life is. And that future meaning, how it affects the choices we make today. Because hope in the future is always what forms the choices that we make in the present. So St. Paul advised that we're all predestined from union with God. These uh, investments in the field, in the pearl, uh, all of these, this investment in our portfolio is destined for this great payoff, according to St. Paul. So even though there's some short terms up and downs, don't lose your courage. Don't lose your trust in your investment advisor. That would be Jesus and your portfolio. In fact, in a downturn, it might be time for the wise to double down. And so here's some advice from St. Francis de Sales, who wrote in his Introduction to the Devout Life, um, which is a classic of spirituality precisely because it's written for lay people. St. Francis talks about how to practice the spirit of poverty, even while living in the world. In poverty, he does not mean destitution. What he means by poverty is what a financial advisor would mean, that you're a step detached from the ups and downs of your investment portfolio because you have a long-term plan. You're just not going to freak out about the short stuff. So here's what St. Francis, who by the way is called the saint maker, said. Again, if you are impoverished much or little by unforeseen events, think COVID pandemic, but here's what he said. Storm, flood, fire, drought, theft, or lawsuit, then is the real time to practice poverty. Poverty really counts, he says, when you're feeling at risk, not when you are just rolling in it. Because it's the real time to practice poverty, he says, because we accept the loss quietly and we adapt ourselves patiently to the altered circumstances. Think rationally, he's saying. So then you need this little background. Do you remember the book of Genesis? It tells the story of Abraham's son, Isaac. And Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Esau is the firstborn. Esau is a real hairy guy. Jacob is a clean shaven guy. Um, well, it comes a time when Isaac is old and blind and he has to give his blessing to his oldest son because that's what it's supposed to be, the oldest son. And so Jacob's mom comes up with a plan where she puts animal skin, sheepskin, on uh, the back of uh, Jacob's hands. So when he goes to his blind dad, Isaac, um, to give him some food, he imitates Esau's voice and he asks Isaac, if he could have the blessing of the oldest son. And so Isaac gives his blessing to the youngest son, Jacob. In short, Isaac steals his older brother's birthright. This is what St. Francis is talking about. All right, fine, I can hear you thinking. This is not morally respectable. This would not fly in your hand, in, in your house. But I say, sic transit mundi, thus goes the world. Anyhow, St. Francis compares Jacob's fake hair with detachment from things in time of pandemic. Here's what he says. Esau and Jacob both came to their father with hairy hands, but the hair on Jacob's hand did not grow from his skin and could be torn off without pain, while that on Esau's hands, being the natural growth of his skin, he would have cried out and resisted if anyone had torn it off. So you see, St. Francis is comparing the story of the fake hair on Jacob's hands to the illusion of our possessions in life. 
If we equate the possessions in life with what my meaning and purpose is, who I am and my deepest self, then when they're torn away, wow, an open wound. And so a healthy detachment is how you ride out the ups and downs of an unstable market. And so St. Francis continues. So if our possessions are very close to our heart and storm or thief tear them away, we shall break forth in impatient murmurs and lamentations. You can hear it out there on the street, my friends. But if we only cleave to them with that solicitude which God wills us to have, and not with our whole heart, we shall see them rent away without losing our sense of calmness. In other words, don't sink your anchor too deep in stuff that's going away anyway. This is just the difference between the clothing of men and beasts. The beast's clothing grows on its flesh, and man's is only laid on so that it may be laid aside at will. It's what real freedom is. You see, we need stuff to survive. We need the stuff to be happy. Um, poverty is not the same thing as destitution. Poverty is a detached relationship to, well, relationship and possessions and all the stuff of our life. We need some basic stuff to be happy, but how we relate to our possessions is what creates meaning in our life. In short, St. Francis advises that in a down market, buy. The saint maker is always bullish on the life of grace. So he says, if you're feeling at risk because of this pandemic, now's the time to do something for the poor because it creates, it builds that healthy sense of detachment from all the stuff each of us has. You know, I like Mr. Freedom's story about success, failure, and meaning in life. And it really is worth pondering. I like that he talked about diversifying his personal portfolio because I thought, boy, Jesus would have loved that parable. And it equates with what the social research on happiness and meaning in life. And the illumination provides us disciples as we try to grow in our love of Jesus and our fidelity to the gospel. In the gospel about the pearl and the field and the cast net and the wise scribe, Jesus is calling laity and clergy, single or married, to seek first the kingdom of heaven. Because he says, like a treasure hidden in a field, you can't take meaning and happiness uh, but you can receive them if you buy the field first. Life, the source of happiness and meaning, eternal life, is the pearl of great price. And it's not eternal life without union with God. And this, my friends, is your single most important investment. And it has payoff for your marriage, for your children and grandchildren, everything that you do. It is the fundamental, uh, it is the foundation of your portfolio. So don't get discouraged by mixed investment results in the short term. This is the short term. We are only in the middle of the story. Our investment portfolio, my friends, is not fully mature. Have I beat this metaphor to death yet? Remember as St. Francis advises, in chaos there is profit. Discern wisely like a Christian scribe what's important about the past, what's useful for action in the present while you prepare for the future. That's where we find the meaning of all this. This has been Oral Valley Catholic, and this has been Father John Arnold, 
and we'll see you next week, hopefully.